you both have experienced sort of within the music industry. Um, and so maybe then because you know what people want, both as a user and uh, a creator, what things work, what things don't, what things are attractive, and why you want to do them a little bit differently. It's kind of the reason also why we started uh, doing this, because yeah, we kind of uh, figured out that we, if we would combine our skills, that we could like create really cool gear. And we both have uh, long experience in being musicians, and, but you know, sometimes you just miss like edgy gear or like stuff that hasn't been there. And especially if you look at the pedal market, there was like simply no change in the last 60 years, like since uh, Jimi Hendrix got his fast phase. Uh, you just have like the hundredth derivation of the fast phase and the hundredth derivation of the Fender uh, distortion and this and that, but there's like really no big renewals in analog world. And we wanted, we seriously wanted to change that because it's all, you know, our pedals, they are very much a mixture between like a small synthesizer and the guitar pedal in a way. Mm -hmm. And because we both come very much from this yeah, like modular synthesizer idea that you patch up stuff so you, like your signal path is not given by the, by the instrument but you can choose yourself what you want to do with like all the possibilities. So you know you patch your signal path yourself and this is why we have the patch bay for example because we wanted to let the user decide himself for example which one of the features he can control with uh, the hand or the foot. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't want to hardwire that. For yeah. It's all analog. Mm -hmm. It's all analog. I mean, the, the thing is, uh, is, it's maybe the wrong question to ask me where to draw the border between analog and digital because in a way you're in digital as soon as you have a clock signal somewhere because as soon as you go in a state where you only have high and low, mm -hmm. it's basically digital. But for example, our audio signals are never digitalized, so they are never, um, how is it called? Pixelated. Pixelated, yeah. They're, they're, never, they're never transformed. They're never rasterized. So, so the audio is always analog, but uh, the technology we use for controlling the stuff sometimes has uh, like a digital flavor because a clock signal basically is a digital signal, but you cannot get around this. Mm -hmm. And the infrared sensor um, is, is something that I actually stole from remote controls from uh, TVs because yeah we wanted to make a sensor or some kind of like input device that you can control in kind of any light scene that you want because there is also these uh, LDRs, these light dependent resistors uh, that are used a lot in DIY scene and you can build really funny stuff out of it because they react to light and then you can change like the pitch of an oscillator. But the problem with that is uh, that when it's like a bright day or like a not so bright day like now Mm -hmm. It reacts this and that way, and then as soon as you close the curtains or you turn up the light, it reacts completely different. Um, but yeah, the infrared, uh, like the remote controls of TVs, they somehow can manage to always work. You know, if you sit yeah. in the garden and drink a beer and watch TV, or if you sit inside and it's dark in your room, they always work. Mm -hmm. And okay. yeah, this, for example, is actually digital technology because the the signal is pulsed mm -hmm. really fast. Um, yeah, and this is the, the trick that I used um, to, to get it working in every situation. Did you know about this already, this, uh, no. the strength of this TV, or did you just think like, hmm, you can always watch TV no matter what? <laughs> yeah, it was really kind of like, the, I mean, actually because the infrared sensor was Walter's idea, and he just... Um. So you were combining this, thing. I'm kind of just wondering then, when you had your own equipment, were you ever t able to create a sound that the Coma products emit by kind of mixing a bunch of things together? Is there some possibility to create the same sound? 
through a number of units? Sure, somehow sure. Well, yeah, well, uh, technically speaking, if you would have a gate and a delay, and you, you can, like two separate pedals, and you would wire them up in a certain way, you could make sounds like you would do with, with our pedals. Mm -hmm. But in a way, then, the, the, for instance, our gate delay has a very s s uh, specific sound. Uh, because we don't uh, we don't filter the, uh, the the clock noises out, for instance, in the in the in the delay. So that means that it has a very uh, what do you call it like gritty gritty sound, and it's 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 not like a beautiful very long wave of delay. It's like a, a, a little dirty. It's it is yeah. a bit dirty. It's like not at all a classic analog delay. Like really not at all. And we also don't want to make a classic analog delay. We want to make something that gives you these cutout beats and it gives you something with which you can really play and you can really push it also and you can also really crank it up so it doesn't sound beautiful anymore but that makes a pedal more usable than a pedal that can only make these beautiful delayed sounds mm -hmm. and it is it is analog and that means that you you can really push it and that's the interesting part of it for me at least that that, that um, because with digital ones it would what would happen yeah, I don't know. The thing is, like, I think it's, or at least, yeah, the thing is, I think digital equipment or like VST plugins or whatever, it's really hard for them to get out of control or like to make unusual stuff that they weren't intended to do because the stream of, of data is supposed to be processed in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do something different, I'm not sure. I think it's very hard to do, but if you take analog stuff and you have like, how shall I say, true access to everything, you can just tweak it the way that you want to have it. So, I don't know, in a way I think it is maybe like, if you would buy a car and in digital world you, you could choose some extras, like you know, I have the GPS here, have this and that there, so you can kind of make it comfortable for you. But in analog world you have uh, the wrench in your hand and you open the front of the car and you can really do whatever, like you can make it into something much more powerful because you have like direct access to the parts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is how I feel about it. So it, does it require someone to know a lot about sound in order to understand how to tweak it? Like do you think this is, that your gear is geared towards people that um, have a better understanding of, of sound and electronics. Our stickers say analog <laughs> equipment for serious players. No, but I mean what I hear sometimes is really that uh, people will say it's not something that you get the first day and you immediately like uh, start understanding everything using all the functions and everything but it really takes you some time to get into that matter and to have fun with it. And, but this was also our aim in the beginning to not do not make something that you have the first day and you use it and then okay you know what it's doing and it's, you, you can then use it as a tool maybe also you put it somewhere but it should be something where you actually know what kind of sound that you want and you have uh, like a projection of what you want to do with it but you still have to kind of work your way a bit through it. I mean we don't of course want to put obstacles in the user's way but it's quite complex machines so in order to understand and use everything really you, you need some time to spend some time with it. Mm -hmm. And especially very much like from the emails or the responses that I get, this is super much appreciated. Mm. That people say, I really love the fact that I have to work my time with that machine in order to like get the sounds that I want, and it's not like boring turning three knobs and that's it or so.
in the end, it, it's it's a processor. You can. It's literally how you like. If you wanted to make, if you wanted to, if it, if you want it to make your sound sound better or whatever is better in your mind, yeah, of course you can do it. But it's not like you plug it in and it sounds all of a sudden amazing. Mm -hmm. No. That's also not fun. Yeah. fun. But I also think that's a common mistake anyway, because I remember the time when I was still playing a lot of guitar when I was 14, 15, and the internet started to come to the nose, and I was on like guitar forums, mm -hmm. and people had the thought, okay, if I buy the same uh, effect rig like James Hetfield, and if I buy uh, like the same amplifier as James Hetfield, then I have the sound of Metallica, and that can be really cool, but it's just not true. Yeah. So because just by possessing gear or by having gear, you don't improve anything like this. You have to work your way anyway. And James Hetfield also has to twist all those knobs. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, it's not him having the gear that makes him James Hetfield in a way. It's like him using it in the way that he does it and playing the guitar in the style that he does. Yeah. So then, this is maybe another question: is the artists that are drawn to your to this product are you being surprised by the diversity of, of people who want to use it and the sounds that they're actually coming up with as a result who make noise music uh, we have people who make jazz music we have uh, serious composers using it for for electroacoustical projects we have people that play in, in, in math rock bands uh, we have people that yeah, make dub make techno serious it's pop producers serious pop producers it's very 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 broad and and, and i and yeah i'm only proud when i see uh, that, that all these people are, are finding a way to to use our stuff or see see like or have maybe the same idea that we have also in, in sound and in, in, in making music and and use our tools to, to get to that point and um, yeah, it's, it is cool that it's such a, a versatile tool because we were in the beginning thinking like, okay, who will use this? Ah, maybe this genre, maybe this genre. And in the end, it turns out that everybody uses it because it is in the end just a tool, and uh, the, the musician in the end can make like the choices how to use it. And we are still surprised every time that somebody sends us stuff. Or yeah, that must be really fun. Yeah, and we literally also organize uh, um, whole meetings within the office while we just play music of people that uh, send that to us. And last week we got uh, a response from uh, uh, an Austrian composer who made like a full um, electro-acoustic set with our PD-101, I guess, um, with the baritone, baritone clarinet or something. It was like a very weird instruments but like compo composition you know and she says it's just really nice for me to use the stuff because it gives gives such a fresh flavor to my compositions or to this and that it's really funny yeah because we you know in the very beginning we intended it for people like us so kind of noise musicians or so and then there's like this serious austrian uh, com composer that uh, really likes it so yeah but totally other people yeah, that use it for their stuff that we never thought of yeah yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering also because I both of you have this past coming from like you mentioned heavy metal, but I'm just wondering a little bit about your own musical history. Yeah, my history. I tried to make really brief, okay? <laughs> no, I started playing keyboards when I was twelve, and then four years later it was too boring for me uh, because the keyboard made everything itself, and I really didn't like it. So then I started playing guitar and started playing in my first bands. 
And that soon evolved uh, to me playing in a like really technical uh, chaos metal band called Man Killing Man. And yeah, this was really a nice time. And on the side, I started with, I mean, this all kind of started also at the same time. I started doing synthesizers and playing in another project that is like was the complete op opposite of this, like loud, super fast, very short tracks, uh, chaos metal stuff. There's like really soothing uh, electronic ambient, like dark ambient drone stuff. And at the same time, I also started playing just on myself with uh, like, no, not with myself. I started playing, yeah, solo, solo. Uh, just with my gear. And this all about this all kind of uh, elaborated in three streams next to each other. Then I also played in, uh, in bands here in Berlin, but I, I stopped doing it because I don't have time anymore. But uh, yeah, pretty much went through a lot of genres and bands and this, and like small projects or like projects you know, that are just for one gig or it is like a big ensemble of musicians and so we yeah, really did a lot of things so to say. I couldn't really break it down to a certain genre. So. Mm -hmm. You said before that originally you're interested in playing these instruments that you didn't have control over and then did, um, and I'm not sure what your your role was in all of these um, these other bands, but did you find that you were drawn to kind of getting into the gear and, and, and finding unique ways of controlling sound, or was it purely just a mu music and to work with people? I don't know. The thing is, like, for example, when I was the, the Man Killing Man, this band where I was playing guitar, we were uh, bass, guitar, and drums. So it's a very classical setup. And then I thought, why is this setup always so classical? And what is actually the, your possibilities, you know, to get out of this, um, that you can get out of this constellation? Because I guess in the world there is maybe uh, one million bands that have exactly this constellation. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in a way, they managed to sound different or to make uh, their own stuff. And so I was wondering what, uh, yeah, what enables you to, to do that, actually. So then we started, for example, using the modular synthesizer also in Man Killing Man. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that changed the sound already a lot. And then uh, we wanted to use it ever more. And then for, I also play violin. And we also started using the violin on stage, like the really crappy electric violin. But it kind of, you know, I don't know, the more control possibilities you have or the more access to to different sounds you have, the more you can be in control of what you want to do. Mm. So, can you tell me about your, your history? Yeah. Well, I, 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 when, when I have the chance to quote him, I will, I will always do it. Uh, my good and dear friend Tom Smith from To Live and Shave in LA has one saying, that genre is obsolete. And uh, I truly believe in that. Oh God. Kissy, come on. <laughs> Um, and I truly believe in that. Um, I've, I've been working in, on many different genres with many different people. Um, and that, that started all when I was in my teenage years. Playing in a metal band, which went to... Speak up? More punk music, to, uh, to, to very weird shoegaze, to noise, to drone experimental stuff. All different stuff. bands. All different bands, different projects, solo projects, projects with other people. And um, already on a young age, I took that very serious. Like how old? I think I was 17 when I kind of really decided to take it serious and took it until my 20 to really do it serious. And 
I put out an album on my own label and that really worked well for me. What's the label called? Vatican Analog. Can you still find it online? Is it still active? Yeah, it's on Spotify. Okay. And, um, so you were playing in bands, but you also started your own label. Was this happening around the same time? Yeah, I started the label together with... I ran the label together with a couple guys from my hometown in Holland. And what for me was the most important thing is uh, to, to, to really... Uh, Add something to the scene and to uh, be also a true scene player in that sense. Um, so, inviting other artists to come and play, organizing shows, play a lot of shows ourselves, touring a lot, bringing out records, bringing out records of other people. Literally, with one idea is to, to show the love that was always our main uh, goal. Um, of the community. Yeah, the community sense and also. Uh, yeah, we, we built up a scene and everybody else was mm -hmm. building upon that. And in, in the end, with Coma at the moment, we're doing the same. I mean, we're building a scene and, we're, and every, we, we invite everybody else to build upon that. And, uh, for me, that's very important to have, uh, to have a large group of people that understand each other. Mm -hmm. Or at least that feel affinity with one another and want to share what they do. Um, did you see uh, an opening? Like, how did you come to this idea? Both, I'm kind of drawing a connection between this label and now Coma, um, and the communities in in Holland and versus Berlin as well. Like, when you <clears throat> decided to, to to make this label, did you want to promote Dutch artists, or was it was it broader than that? It was not about promotion, I think. Was so then, or building the community? It was literally building, uh, building up a, a large group of like-minded people, and 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 mainly, of course, in the beginning to have fun. After a while, it became my profession, like mm -hmm. between brackets and you know, those things, um, because it was it was the way what I earned my money with by by traveling Europe, traveling the world, and playing everywhere, putting out records, selling those records doing promo for that. And after five years, um, I was of course still part of this scene and I was still part of this community, but it turned out to be like uh, my job and then something I did for fun. And this was a good thing or a bad thing or both? Um, on one side it's a good thing because, uh, well, what's nicer than to make your profession out of your hobby? Um, but in the other, in the other way, on the other hand, it was. Um, I felt that the, the the extensive touring that I did over the last six years was just too much. And I there were there were years that I played over 150 shows a year all over all over the world, and that was a lot of fun. And I've seen the world twice, and I'm very happy with that. And especially at this young age, that I can say, okay, yeah, well. I've seen so much and I've been in so many different situations. But after a while, um, you also figure out that, you know, you, you just have to land. Or at least I had the feeling I had to land. And I made the decision to come to Berlin uh, three and a half years, four years ago. Because I, uh, my first intention was to, to live more central in Europe so I could travel. 
and I could uh, find like a base from which I could travel more easily mm -hmm. uh, than from the Netherlands. And in the end, that I liked that base so much that I decided to stay here and to set up something new, also to to stay sane and to not lose myself in this traveling, exhausting lifestyle. Um, so you're able to put your energies more physically in Berlin? If you yeah, literally. That's why also actually meeting Christian that was exactly at the right time for me. Because I already decided to stop making music, or at least to stop for a year to take a sabbatical, take a year off. So when I met him in October 2010, September 2010, I knew that I had like three, four months of shows to go. And on the 6th of March 2011, I said, stop, okay, this is, now I'm just going to stop for a full year. And of course I did some shows over the last year because I was invited by friends. But the last year I learned that making music is more about fun and not about making money. For me. And um, I still see myself as an artist, of course, but it's, and, and we also present ourselves in this company as an artist-run company. And everything we do, we also do from a, with, with an artistic touch to it. And I think that uh, the tools or the, the units that we make are also uh, uh, very much tools that, that we make as artists to give to other artists. Like, hey, this is how we think you should use it. Just like, yeah, I had a label in which we said, like, hey, this is the music that I really like. And, you know, just promoting that. And, um, and of course, the whole philosophy behind our company is also that uh, the creations that we make, and the things that we put out, are well. First of all, we want them to look beautiful, but we also want them to be. Uh, uh, we want it to be more than just a box that you buy, put in your rig, and used to make sounds with it. We want it also to be a binding factor to the people that buy them, and uh, we also want to host events, for instance where people that use to come together and make stuff together, perform together, just like we're going to do it in the Siegmesse, uh, where all the three acts that will be there will be using our equipment. Uh, and we, will, uh, we also uh, do workshops for other people to, to, to show what kind of equipment we want to make and how they can make it themselves. Um, I think this whole community thing is very strong within our company. Everybody that also works for us um, has to have yeah, a large affinity with that because for us it's very important. So um, you just moved into this new space and uh, yeah, and everything seems like it's growing rapidly. And what you just said about kind of building this community, where do you see uh, the growth kind of happening in the next, I don't know, year or two years? What you wanted to... Uh, continue working on? Um, yeah, first of all, we want people to make it. First of all, I mean, I want, I want to see more people using more stuff and, and not from a financial background because I think for us the most rewarding thing is when people send us pictures and videos and audio files and yeah, true. using our babies, literally, because it's like we are in a way in a marriage and, and the children that come out 
Um, now we're going to make more gear. We're going to expand also in, 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 in like uh, equipment-wise. But on the other hand, for us, it's also very important to to really put even more attention to this this community feeling. And indeed, do more events. Um, we want to do projects also in the area where we live here in, in Berlin, with schools or like anyway, just teach people about electronics, how they work, and what you can do with it. And uh, that's also something um, we want to focus on in the future. So we want to get a social aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, and most of all, uh, make sure that, that the, 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 uh, the musicians that use it have the right tools to, to create uh, even cooler music. So do you see this event, like is this the, this party that you're having at the Music Mess, is this the first Coma event? Well, we did a couple of, um, of, of smaller events, small scale. This is the first really big large scale event mm -hmm. for hundreds of people instead of 50 people. Instead of. Uh, we did one together with Debug Magazine in Katerholz uh, here in Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, Debug? Debug, it's a German magazine. Sure, yeah. mm -hmm. They also sponsor a party. Um, we uh, uh, we went to the uh, festival, the incubate, the incubate festival in Holland, uh, to host a salon where people could play with these instruments and get more information about how it works and how the scene works and like, who we are. Uh, we're going to the Asymmetry Festival in Poland in May to. Uh, to host uh, sessions with artists and to um, to tell more about this analog equipment thing, like the the, uh, the nerd background to uh, to equipment. What will you be doing there? Is that more a workshop or? It will be like workshops, presentations, uh, mainly also connecting with artists, <coughs> and uh, artists will be playing with our gear and. Uh, Checking out the possibilities in, uh, of the of the of the gear as well, mm -hmm. and, and see what it means to them, see what they can do with it. Um, yeah, there will be a lot of things uh, uh, happening. For instance, for what we're going to do at uh, Musikmess, we're going to stream the whole event because we know that many people can't be there who are very mm -hmm. interested, and we we always try to. Uh, make sure that everybody who is in our group of fans or in our group of customers or however you want to call it, I prefer the fan base actually, mm -hmm. uh, that they can be very yeah, that, that they can feel so that uh, we do it for them. It sounds very natural. No, that's fine. I think it's good. Are these and these are people just that came to you, or how did how does this people that came to us or we got in contact. Okay. Paul, German dub producer, really, really great guy, and he makes amazing music. Um, the American band The Locust, who we are all like amazing big fans mm -hmm. of, we met them. The Locust? The Locust in mm -hmm. America. And uh, this also was a really great moment when, like, uh, this was when Water was in Nam uh, in January, 
And then all of a sudden he was like, yeah, I met Bobby Bray from The Locust and he really liked our gear. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> the Locust is a band that I still know from these days back when I was playing in like this tech, tech metal uh, chaos band that was like one of the coolest bands around and mm-hmm. everyone yeah, wanted to meet The Locust to be at the concert. And now this dude says the pedals are great, so it's like, mm. yeah, there's, there's only one word for it, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, and yeah, for example, but the, yeah. this nice thing about like this whole artist that we work together with is also that we, you know, we don't, we don't send them a pedal and see what's happening or so, but in fact, uh, nearly all of them, if possible, they came to our old workspace which was really small and crammed and it was more like a VG, you know, like we were five people in this small room and my girlfriend next room, sometimes with a dog even, and so and then they were just here, you know, drinking coffee or beer and trying out the gear and we were talking and smoking cigarettes and so it's more like if you would be backstage with someone, mm-hmm. uh, but in addition to that he really likes the stuff that you do, that is so, what is so great about it. And there you come back to that community feeling. Mm-hmm. like. It's uh, some people ask me sometimes, like, "Wow, so Mogwa uses your stuff, or they like it? Uh, how do you feel about that?" And like, weren't you nervous when you met him for the first time? Um, and it's it's absolutely not like that. It's more like these people are just very interested in what we do, and we're very interested in what they do, and it's very cool that we can do something together. And, yeah, for me also it has this nice aspect because in, when I was still in Austria, I was uh, working a lot on the cultural scene with like two places that were organizing gigs and uh, concerts. So of course I met a lot of bands backstage and I really liked it all the time because it's just people that have a lot of experience music-wise and travel-wise and have a lot of stories to tell and so on. And I kind of missed it when I moved to Berlin that I like don't that I meet musicians on stage or so and I can talk to them later anyway. But I. Was like not this kind of yeah we connected this evening feeling mm. because for example the locust also once played in the couple where I was working and I remember still yeah that this was so nice for me to meet them simply you know and now I have this again in my company that's so great because I could have never thought that if you have a company that you can actually hang out with artists and stuff it's really cool mm-hmm. it's not like a work you know like <coughs> Relationship, it's more like, yeah, we a mutual understanding, yeah, maybe so. Sharing some love, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When Teran Junior was here, he's just such a nice student, yeah, it was so great talking to him about this and like not even music, so just you know, talking about life and stuff, yeah. So, this, uh, I was kind of wondering about what inspires you is it this type of interactions that uh, pushes you to this above all the rest, like. Is the most important thing. It's the fact that we have a forum where people just post videos and audio. And some of it is really good, others are just small experiments. Some things are really not good. Let's be honest about it. Sometimes it's just not so good. And that's also fine. But it's like the, the fact that people try out new things, try out new patches, try out new combinations of equipment. Yeah, For us, that's really didn't think about it, so you know, completely new like, that they came up with. So it's just all this informationals that you share with each other, it's, it's, it's super, because for us that's like, opens a whole new uh, directory of, of, of a whole new door that we also can go in like with, with our new stuff. So we, can, we, we see all these different ways of uh, how people 
like apply it to their to their sound and to their music and to their art, and that also inspires us at the same time to to come up with 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 tools that also give them even more possibilities and gives them more. Um, uh, 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 yeah, it just triggers them even more. But that whole communication back and forth is, I think, is is, is one of the nicest uh, things mm-hmm. around. When we started a year ago, we started together in a small room. Actually, we had one desk for the both of us, and um, we 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 didn't have much. We didn't have much money. We didn't have much uh, experience in running a company. We had an experience in running our own, yeah, musical lives, like the the, the artist lives. We had no, we had no idea on how to how to do it. So, of course, we both have uh, we come both from an entrepreneurial background, at least our, our families are. Um, so we just winged it in the beginning, and it went really well. I think um, we we met in September two thousand ten, and we were sitting one on one in a room for full days. Uh, by the end of October, I guess. And then we founded a company. We didn't know each other that well when we founded a company, but we both had a feeling that we could do this together and that our, both of our ideas combined could really uh, end up in like something cool. Uh, we, we registered a company uh, in the beginning of 2011, and now a year later, we're sitting here in our office in Berlin. We have five guys working uh, here every day, we have another five guys, four guys, uh, and girls, by the way, um, soldering for us because all our stuff is still handmade. It's like every pedal that you touch is like put together by three or four sets of hands. Everything is manually tested, everything is manually soldered. Christian still touches on a daily basis like all, all the products that I actually leave this, leave this building. It's very, it's very hard work. It's very rewarding work because you get so much back, and and uh, that's in the end what we do it for, and that's why we both are so um, happy that's going so well, and that's why we're also so happy that we can go to Music Mess next week. We can show this party. We can show to the world, hey, ha! One year you didn't get us down. <laughs> We're still standing. So this is like your uh, one-year anniversary, then, in a way, yeah. also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And uh, well, of course, it's like kind of we, we are working a bit longer, but we came from very we came from very far without really knowing each other. And uh, for us, the whole year was also a process in which we got to know each other better, and in a very direct and in a very constructive way. And, um, and we learn on the go also because we, we, like I said, we don't have much experience in running this. And now a year later, I, I think we can. We are a really smooth and well-working team. If he says something, I know exactly what he means, mm-hmm. and I can see the underlying thoughts of that as well. We, we, you know, it's really nice to also have guys working for us, and that we both are so in line and in tune about certain topics. Uh, because we discussed it over and over and over, and since we founded the company, we actually have there's still conversations that we had in the beginning that we are still having, but then on a completely different level because we've learned so much along the way that we are now, for instance, you see that we become uh, uh, how do you call it? Uh, we get more routine in certain things, we get more. Um, 
practice. Yeah, yeah practice. Yeah, we understand each other better, and in, in the end, that also goes. That you can see that back in the products. Like, uh, we took developing these pedals took up like well almost a year like, from from like the first base idea to finished product, like mm -hmm. the first production run. That's almost that was a year. Yeah, it was a year. Yeah, but like a year with uh, more than forty hours a week was the only developing. Yeah. So we really what we wanted to do is take our time to get to a certain point of which we thought, okay, this is acceptable, this is what we want to launch into the world, without varying it, but also without like a large team of people helping us. It was just the two of us. I did the design of all the products and he did all the electronics of it. Well, in the end, everything, of course, together. Mm -hmm. But like, I never designed a product before. And I have, of course, I have a certain vision or from, from using them on stage, I have an idea of what I want them to do and how that kind of has to look. But that's all the prototyping that we went through for this pedal. So if you see, like, in the end, we already had the sloped idea, the patch bay was already there. Do you, do you still have this very first uh, prototype somewhere? Uh, the, the carton one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, if that one survives, but you should check that out. And we first made a version of carton, and then we made one of action. And so now, one year later, we actually sit here in this really nice office with a really great uh, workshop over there. It's like the workshop of my dreams. And we have like yeah stock here, and we have uh, all these things. So this is really nice to see that actually we weren't so wrong about it. And when I told my friends in I don't know, yeah, when I was working 60 hours a week and I couldn't see anyone anymore, I said yeah, but this is because we put so much energy inside because we believed that this would be really good. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to see that it was actually true and it's worth putting so much effort inside. We actually still work six hours a week. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I mean, we still work so much for it, really a lot. Like this week, I didn't uh, work on any day less than 10 hours, but for example, yesterday was nice because I was really grumpy in the morning and I didn't have a good day. And then I worked here for 10 hours and I was so happy when I came out because the work is just so great for me. It's, it's truly, yeah, it's very beautiful. When you talk about this early time, were you also stressed or worried, or did you have fear about it? You had thousands of setbacks. <clears throat> then, the, then the delivery from China was two weeks late. Then, uh, then the aluminium was not drilled right. Then the boot didn't fit. Then the knobs didn't fit. <laughs> then the day before we started production, we figured out there was a problem on the PCB. And then. You know, there's like a lot of small technical things, a lot of things that disappoint you. But in the in the end, I think if you're a good team and you work very constructively, and you're also not afraid to put in in putting in those 60, 70 hours a week, but because you wanted to do it, you want to do it right. Actually, that's always what that's actually my saying. Like if we, I always say, if you do something, you do it right. And, and then for me, it doesn't matter how much time you put into it. Of course, we had setbacks. I think those setbacks are. Part of the deal, we started production later than we wanted. Um, we um, had projections financially also that were not correct because so much stuff happens or parts in the end cost more. But in the end, it's, it's all about um, shifting that energy around and make sure to, yeah, in the end, that ends me in the end, that you just stand for what you make. And that's what we do. And 
yeah, it, it's, I think the, the reward that you get back from the users, but also to see, of course, sales figures and to, to, to see this office and to be in them and get so many good responses from artists and other people that, 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 that make equipment. I mean, when I was at NAM, like the most heard comment I've heard from, from guys who, are, who run a company just like us, like small, you know, boutique, handmade stuff guys that came up to me and said like, wow, I saw your pedals on the internet and now I see them here and they make them even more beautiful than I thought they would be. Yeah, that's, you know, I, desi <laughs> I designed them without any knowledge of design. I mean, um, I'm, we both are not, we both didn't go to college to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are the living proof that uh, you don't have to. It's just believing in what you do and have a lot of love for what you do. Take a risk. <laughs>